correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com for the day, blessed is the mind, too small for doubt. Hello, Runs, and welcome to episode 45 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're hearing the show for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created by Fantasy Flight Games. And I am confident enough to say now, Mike, that I believe we are the world's only double-any-nominated Warhammer 40k role-playing podcast. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a pretty safe bet. <laughs> that's it, yeah. So the 2015 any nominations have just been released by, by the Indies Committee, and uh, we want to basically say... We're very proud to be on the, the nominations list for the top five best podcasts. Yep. So, you know, we, we had this honours nomination again last year, and so this is our second year running. This is a really special opportunity. So thanks very much to the, to the NES judges. I've got to give a quick shout-out as well to our, uh, uh, to, to our fellow nominees as well, which include uh, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff, uh, the NPC cast, Translating the Strange, and the Miskatonic University podcast. And of course, the MU podcast is another podcast on the D20 Radio Network. So yep. it's great the network's picked up two nominations between the podcasts there. So we're looking forward to getting on to the Innies uh, Awards once again in Indianapolis this year for Gen Con. Unfortunately, Mike, you can't be there. No, no. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be there in your stead anyway. Yeah, so yeah. That's it. Uh, okay, so before we talk about tonight's show, let's have a quick chat about uh, Fortnite in gaming. They're pretty packed on this one, actually. So yeah. let's just see. We managed to get our midweek group back together again to do Star Wars, yes. although it was a small group, as in one GM, two players. Yes, so, we, we just did a small short mission there. That's it, getting back to our small group topic as well from a few episodes ago. Uh, we played Matt's Black Crusade game. Yes. And this game you managed to avoid getting thrown out of any windows or thrown up in the air. So. Yes, yes, because we didn't go anywhere where there was... <laughs> we never travelled above sea level, which uh, sort of made that quite easy. <laughs> but a successful uh, end to the... Next part of our campaign, we've completed the, the third of four rituals that are basically forming the cornerstones of, of Matt's campaign. So, yep. And uh, we have some pretty hefty awards as well. I mean, yeah. Matt, Matt is basically trying to condense an entire Black Crusade campaign into less than a dozen games. So he's getting pretty hefty awards, and I think that some of us are up around the 90, mid to high 90s for uh, Infamy. No. You're up around the mid to high 90s. Everyone else is down back around the 70s and 80s. Can I help it that I'm the dodgiest person there? <laughs> Actually, you're pretty dodgy too. You just unfortunately got killed once. So. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> although, I did like your round of uh, round of transformations, though, Mike. I think you've got to roll a new oh, gift. Yes. What's it, what's it called? The, the one that they, Changing uh, of the ways. Change, which basically means re-roll. you re-roll all your gifts. And you did that, and you get through like three or four gifts, and then oh, changing the ways again, start again. Yeah. And each time the character's out for like d ten hours while they yeah. go through mutations. And you I, I think my in. character was out for like three days, <laughs> mutating over and over again. That's it. But you finally stabilized. Finally, and, until the next time I get a gift, probably. <laughs> That's it. Uh, also, I, I did a game of the Game of Thrones game. So our um, our regular uh, Scion group, we recently uh, I decided to show them the Song of Ice and Fire role playing system just as a one-off, and they liked it so much we actually played it again, only for a short session. But that led into your Mage game, which yep. we played uh, this past Sunday, and it 
It's pretty much an entire game is one fight scene. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's the, the unfortunate curse of uh, White Wolf games that the combat scenes take forever. Yeah, I mean, not, not a bad fight. It wasn't like we were all sitting there twiddling our thumbs. Everybody was engaged, but yeah, it was yeah. certainly... Yeah, and we're not we're not we're not talking miniatures or maps or you know. No, oh, I, I suppose there was a, a quick drawing of the room. There was a doodle of the room. That's it. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also the fact that I, I've tried to avoid combat. I think this is the first fight you've had in four or five sessions. Well, let's now. face it, we've we've made a group which is pretty much non-combatants. Non-combatants, yeah. So, so it makes it, it easy. Yeah, and, and I had this conversation with someone after the game as well, saying that you know if we were a more combative group then we may seek more combat as well. But this group doesn't seek combat. It seeks to find other ways to resolve issues. And so, you know, it's... Some groups think, you know, how can we hit this problem to make it go away? You know, we think, you know, how can we avoid having to hit this problem because we're not very good at it, so... Yeah, that's it. But, you know, still a good game anyway. And I think that even with a group that's not made for combat, role-playing systems are built around the concept that you will occasionally have physical conflicts as well, basically. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about tonight's episode. Uh, it is an only war episode. An only war episode. Uh, we'll do our regular news section rather than our regular system discussion. We've got another interview tonight, so we're actually talking about the recently released computer game Regicide, uh, which is currently on Steam for PC at the moment. And we've got Ross Watson, who we've had on the show before. So Ross, of course, was the writer of uh, some of these game systems in the past and the, and the lead producer for FFG uh, in the, during the days of uh, Dark Heresy, Road Trader, and Death Watch. I think you mean Dark Heresy First Edition. Yes, indeed. Uh, and Ross is now doing a lot of uh, writing for games as well. Uh, and the latest thing is uh, for Regicide. So we'll talk to Ross about that here. Yep. Uh, we've got a support special discussion on the Rattling for uh, for Only War. One of your favourites, Mike? I don't mind Rattlings. Okay. Uh, we'll do our plot hook section, War Gear. We've got a review of the uh, the web module, or actually free RPG day, free RPG day module, 11th Hour. Uh, and then I want to do a quick discussion on encounter building in these systems uh, before we finally close out the show and uh, give you some kind of information. So, Mike, let's jump straight into it. Yep. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. Okay, so on to the news. Now, this may shock you, Mike, but there was no news about the 40k role-playing lines from FFG this last fortnight. Wow, I am stunned. Stunned, yep. That's it. It was, there was other 40k news there, but nothing on the RPGs at the moment. Hopefully... You know, we're four hopefully, weeks away from Gen Con. Yeah, we might... Hopefully it's because they've got a big announcement about something which will be released at Gen Con. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we might be hopeful. Or maybe a beta at Gen Con, for example. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it'd so. be nice, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's wait and see. Uh, but from in just general FFG news with the 40k line, so Forbidden Stars has now been released. Yep. I got my copy. It is a hefty box set uh, you know, with both, both the equipment and the price tag to match it. Reminds me of getting like um, Risk for the first time with all the little plastic figures that are very nicely done stuff. I haven't had a chance to actually get my head through the rules yet, but it is yeah, it, it's certainly like with all FFG board games, fantastic production quality. Looks like it'd be a lot of fun to play. Yep. Uh, there's also been a preview of the Tyranid faction for uh, Warhammer Conquest that's coming in the the Great Devour expansion, including a look at the Tyranid. War, War Master or, or um, yeah, War, Warlord, sorry. That's yep. it. So uh, that looks like a, a bit of fun as well. Yeah, except that you don't get any... Uh, no one will no one will ally with Tyranids in the setting as such. I think that's okay. <laughs> that's it. They're, they're powerful enough on their own. Uh, in-Games Workshop news, not a lot coming out, except that uh, along with the Space Marine Codex, which we saw last time, and a lot of Ultramarines, there's now a whole bunch of Dark Angels figures coming out. So that's I think right, yep. you did predict that, didn't you, Mike? You said yep. Dark Angels was next. Dark so. Angels would be next. Um... 
Ultramarine stuff's coming out. They've just released on Forge World all the Ultramarine stuff for um, 30k for 30k. So you know your Primarch's finally there, just being released. So. Okay, I let to go buy and pay and put it on my shelf. And never, never actually play the game with it. N- never actually touch it again. <laughs> I, I will point out by the way. This... I, I think you mean buy it, put it together. <laughs> Undercoat it, half paint it, put it on your shelf, never touch it again. That's it, yeah. Hey, I can paint one figure at a time, okay? Uh, okay. I just can't paint armies. Huh. Yeah, and, and I will point out, by the way, just I don't mention this on the show before, but you know how people in IT have this sort of thing where they'll name servers, like they'll use a consistent thing from like a TV show or something, you know? Yeah. So in my home, my home network is called Imperium. And all my PCs are named after Primarchs. <sighs> so my, my my main PC is Gulliman. The, the the machine we record the podcast on is Corax and you know, I've got um, oh, I've got I'm my... a little disappointed that we've got such a substandard Primarch <laughs> recording the show. Well that's right, because all, all my all my work dedicated PCs have uh, Trader Legion names. So oh, I've got good. like I said, my main work PC is Mortarian. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, last thing I mentioned is from Eternal Crusade. First off, we've seen uh, a new short story by Graham McNeil called uh, Terra uh, Nullius. And there's also now the, the vote up for the fifth Space Marine chapter. Uh, yeah. So the options here are Iron Hands, Imperial Fists, or Raven Guard. Oh, it's going to be difficult because all three of those have pretty pretty fanatical fan bases yeah and they're, they're all founding chapters too it's, it's, that, it's different are. from when we saw the chaos factions before where yeah, the red they, scorpions yeah. were yeah no the, the astral, astral claws is it or which? they had the choice of the astral claws the crimson slaughter and that's right and, and, and the alpha legion because the alpha legion got up yeah, yeah I mean but, but iron hands maybe not they're not such a big following but imperial fists and um Raven Guard got massive followings. loads of people love those chapters yeah so I, I think that's going to be a, a close race if I don't know whether it's more, more in the game than aesthetics, like they have said things like, for example, if you are playing a space wolf, you can't play an apothecary, for example, in the game. So there is some limitations surrounding which one you, you choose, yeah, which you choose yeah. and such. And it'd be nice to see if they could actually somehow factor in the combat doctrine of, say, for example, the Raven Guard. Yeah. So if you if you Raven Guard, you have extra stealth options that you wouldn't have with other ones and such. Really, you just want it to be that if, if you're Raven Guard, everyone's in Mark Six armor or Beaky Marines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Corvax, I think it was the yeah the Corvax Mark armor. That's it. Yeah, and the, um, and the, and the dual lightning claws. Dual I mean. lightning claws, I think. But I, I think out of the three, personally, I'd rather see Iron Hands because they're actually one of my preferred chapters. Yeah. But uh, I think Raven Guard would probably nudge this one out. Okay, yeah. it's funny. Like, I mean, I, I don't mind Imperial Fists. I got to say, um, I, I'd probably actually. I'll be honest. I like Imperial Fists. I just think that their Primarch was a gigantic dick. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember which which PC in my network is named Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but um, it, it, anyway, I think that I said my my only reason I probably wouldn't choose Imperial Fists is because they're bright yellow. <laughs> that's not. not uh, I was going to say aesthetic details, not necessarily the colour. There's not a lot to aesthetically define them. You know, at the end of the day, they are quite codex following in terms of their appearance. Yeah, you know, that they, they like. Yeah, they, I mean that that whole thing about the the manning the bastions and um, siege doctrine works well, but not really in an you know in a computer game which is massively multiplayer. Yeah, effing campers. Is that yeah, what you're going to say? Is that pretty much. To all yeah. the I saw the imperial fists. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, if you're in a computer game and you're running around in bright yellow armor you're going to be easy to spot you're going to be easy to target yeah okay that's a good point. I, I'd, I'd go with i'd go with the raven guard for that reason or the iron hands because they're both black, black exactly right <laughs> yes 
All right, so that's about it for news. So uh, let's get straight into our interview, shall we? Yep. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. All right, so as we mentioned before, we had a chance, or I had a chance, to catch up with uh, to, with Ross Watson in the past fortnight. So unfortunately, Mike, you couldn't be there because you had, no, no, had work. work on. But I, I want to thank Ross as well for, for his time. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Regicide is a game produced by Hammerfall Productions, an Australian-based uh, game development company. It's based on the 40K license as such. Got a sort of different way of handling it from a system point of view. And, uh, yeah, we decided to reach out to Ross, and we knew he was the, the writer, primary writer for the game, yeah. and get an idea from here about what the game was about, what how the story worked together. And uh, I won't bore you more. Let's get straight into the interview now, and we'll come back after this for a quick, uh, quick follow-up discussion. Okay. Signal accepted. Beginning decryption sequence. All right, so we want to welcome back Ross Watson to the show. So, Ross, welcome back. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Just for those of us that are new to the show, all those, those listeners that are new to the show, do you want to remind us who you are and why you're important to uh, the games that we cover? Well, sure. I'm Ross Watson. I'm a writer and a game designer, and I've been involved in game design and you know basically everything 40K for, uh, for quite a while. I guess I got really into it back in 2003. I worked on the, uh, the U.S. White Dwarf team for a couple of years, and uh, you know, wrote some stuff for Warhammer 40K Fourth Edition. Did a lot of scenarios and uh, worked on Kill Team things like that. And then later on in 2008 to 2011, I worked on the Warhammer 40K Roleplay line. Uh, I designed Rogue Trader. I designed Death Watch. I helped uh, design Black Crusade and Only War. Um, did a lot of work on Dark Heresy. And, uh, you know, since then I've been, you know, keeping my hand in working on a few 40K video games. All right, so just when you say Kill Team, do you mean the skirmish rules from White Dwarf, or do you mean the the computer game that was a precursor to Space Marine? Oh, I, d- I didn't work on the, the, the video game Kill Team, but I did work on the, the skirmish game. Yeah, I, in White Dwarf you can actually find a whole bunch of supplemental rules for uh, Kill Team as it existed back in 4th edition that I worked on. Okay, and and so what have you been working on recently? What's your sort of, I mean, not just in in the forty k setting, but in general, because you've got your own your own business and your own game lines you're working on. That's right. I am the managing director of a game company called Evil Beagle Games, Bad Dog, Good Games, <laughs> and we have been uh, working on a bunch of stuff for Savage Worlds. We have a product called Shine Tar, which is a high fantasy setting for the Savage Worlds RPG, and we have uh, been working recently on a thing called Savage Rifts, which takes the old uh, RPG setting of Rifts and turns it into a Savage World setting as well. Yeah, just an aside, like, Rifts is such a great setting. I mean, I think we've mentioned on the show in the past that you can take or leave the system, but I think Rifts is such a fantastic world to base a game in. The world of Rifts is totally awesome, and I have been a big fan of it ever since I was a young man. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. And what about on the, the computer gaming side? You mentioned you've been doing some work there as well. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things we're here to talk about tonight. But I have worked on, I was actually contracted by a company called Hammerfall to design, well, basically be the, the lead writer on a game called Warhammer 40,000 Regicide. And that is a turn-based strategy game that kind of uses chess as its engine, right? in the 40K universe, Warhammer 40,000 universe. And it's really cool because uh, I got to write all of the dialogue, all of the story, all of, like, you know, they basically let me come up with everything everything from the name of the game down to the, uh, you know, the, the major story beats and stuff. So it was really, it was very, very cool working with those guys. 
All right. I mean, how did that? How do you put a story into a game which is based on effectively the chess engine? Well, the, the way it works is they've got when when we first started discussing regicide, you know, they came to me and said we want to do a single player campaign, and we're going to have fifty different missions, and we want to tell a story over those fifty missions. So we want you to come up with you know who our protagonists are and what you know what they kind of go through along their journey. And, you know, to be honest, the gameplay was kind of a secondary function. They wanted a really cool story out of it. Um, they already had an idea of the types of missions and things that they were going to do with their their engine and the the challenges that were going to be present. And it was really just me sort of putting a, a, a framework, you know, for that kind of gameplay, which was, again, it was, it was very cool. It was, it was very a lot of freedom for, for me, you know, to be able to say, okay, here's what I think we should do. Really, the only limitations were on the, mo- the uh, I guess what you, I'm not really sure what the term is, but the the models, the renders that they'd come up with already. Oh, yeah, the, the, um, the animations and such and, and right. figures they had, yeah. Because this is, this company, Hammerfall, they are well known for doing some really awesome animations and they wanted to really pump up that side of it. So they were working hard on, you know, they wanted to limit the number of, of, uh, of, of types of figures because then they would go really deep you know they'd have a narrow band wide but a very deep amount of animation for each one of those guys and um, you've probably seen the uh, trailer for it they, they show some pretty amazing kills <laughs> yeah and it's all motion captured I understand yes it is yeah they have their own stu- you know, studio and they got some uh, stuntmen to come in and they wired them all up to do all the, the different kill animations it's pretty badass yeah, no, I will say, Ross, I have had a chance to play the game. Uh, it is actually on Steam now in a, I guess, a pre-release format, so you can actually get onto the game right now and, and have a go. And the because it's still pre-release, they haven't unlocked some of the features yet. So right now you can play the sort of skirmish game, uh, either multiplayer or, or single player. But the uh, the storyline is still uh, locked at the moment. So uh, I'm, I'm other than the really great uh, and I think very flavorful intro cinematic. Uh, which which yeah. sets a really great tone for a horror game. Uh, I haven't seen much about how the the, the single player game is going to go, so I'm interested to see how that that turns out. Is there anything you can tell us without giving us too many spoilers about the story? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to you know jump in here really quick. You were right. It's on what's called early access uh, for Steam, which is why I think they're not um, fully unlocked. They're they're kind of just early access is is a way to let people play the game while it's still kind of you know being worked on, and I think that there's some things they're still tweaking you know sort of behind the scenes. I can't really speak to the the technical aspect of it, um, but when it is unlocked on early access, and man, I'm really looking forward to this. They're going to have this 50 mission single player campaign, and the story it has a number of levels. You've already talked about you know one of the levels of the story, which is you guys see the opening cinematic of the game, and that is a distress call. That's been sent from a planet called Hedgedar, Hedgedar Prime, and Hedgedar Prime is experiencing some bizarre phenomena. It's under attack. It's a frontier world of the Imperium, and this distress call has been received by the Blood Angels chapter, and they have sent a company of Space Marines to this world to sort of, you know, deal with the situation. And that's that's really the the basis of the story. That's where we where we start when we play the single player campaign. Is you are taking on the role of the commander of this chapter of, of Space Marines, you are the Blood Angel Captain Draco, and you are well advised by your librarian, uh, Baldassar, who is a Cadissier 
of the chapter. And between between the two of them, they start to unravel the mystery of what's happening on Hedgedar because it's a lot deeper than it first appears. All right. But were there major difficulties for you in sort of putting a story into the the scope of a uh, a game which had these sort of you know staged chessboard style, uh, I guess, mechanic behind it? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I've played almost every <laughs> 40K video game there's ever been, man. Uh, you know, I've played uh, Chaos Gate. I've played Final Liberation. You know, you name it, I've probably played it. And I was really channeling a lot of my, you know, favorite moments from, uh, from those kinds of games, especially the Dawn of War series. And I was channeling kind of the way that those guys told their story, mostly through things that occurred, you know, kind of like the mission briefings, you know, between, uh, it's kind of set between whether when you start the the actual gameplay and when you and then they have like the cool cinematic stuff at the end, right? You know, like a, a cutscene or something will kick in. And so I was I was using a lot of that same experience to tell the story. So you know, you, the the gameplay is going to happen. You know, there's, there's going to be the intro that tells you to kind of what's going on and why you're there and puts context to it. And then there's going to be a cool, you know, sort of uh, resolution at the end based on how you do in the uh, in the mission. But the gameplay aspects, you know, of the stuff that happens in between, that's really, that's going to be the, uh, the the programming side. So, I, you know, I, I think I just drew on my experiences with those really cool games and how they told their stories, and I just used the same general approach. Okay, so... With this, with the storyline, is it divergent based upon the what happens in in the I guess the active part of the game, or, or are you basically progressing through a developed story? The way it works, you're you're progressing through a developed story because it's it's fifty missions long. I mean, that's a lot of <laughs> that's actually a lot of stuff to do, right? Um, we discussed like some ideas of doing some branching paths and thing, and and I think like you know one day I think. These guys at Hammerfall, they're really cool to work with, and I think they and I are, are thinking alike in a lot of ways. One day I think it would be awesome to do like a really badass like single-player RPG with all kinds of branching decisions and things like that. For, uh, for a strategy game like this, I, you know, it, I think it makes sense to do it in a more linear fashion. So we, we ended up going that route. So what you do is you play you know, along, along the way you go with uh, the missions and trying to overcome the, the challenges that are presented to you. But yeah, for the most part, it's a it's a it's a fairly linear uh, story, and there's not really a lot of uh, branching choices and things like that. All right. Just to quickly challenge one of your earlier assertions, you mentioned that you've played pretty much every single 40 game out there. Can I challenge you to say, have you played uh, Warhammer 40k Glory and Death, the game that came out only on the Nokia Engage? Wow. Okay, that is a hell of a challenge, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the one gaming system I think I've never even seen physically is an N-Gage. So I would have to say, no, I have not played that one. Yeah, I gotta say, that, that's the one I have never managed to find either. <laughs> Good luck finding an N-Gage if you do find the, the, the disc for it <laughs> as such. But uh, anyway, I'll get back on to the end of the topic. So, I mean, the Hammerfall no. team you mentioned, they're, they're, you know, for my own edification, they're based here in Sydney with me as well. Um, how did you find that team to work with? They're brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant to work with. The lead designer on the project, or the, so let's just say the project lead, uh, the, the titles are different, uh, project lead, is Catherine uh, Matchin, and she's just amazing to work with. She's, uh, she's got her head completely wrapped around the lore. She knows exactly what things are supposed to be, 
and she was just a pleasure to, you know, because she would come to me and say, well, here's what we want to do with this story, and, you know, what do you think? And then I would turn it around and send it back to her, and she'd say, okay, yeah, this is exactly what we like. Um, there's uh, a, just a fantastic team over there. Uh, Mick Hummel, the guy in charge of, uh, uh, I think he's kind of like your executive producer, basically. And you've got uh, just, just a really solid team of guys there. Tyrone Maddams. These, these guys are behind a lot of really awesome cutscenes that you've seen in other games like Saints Row, um, all the Saints Row series. These guys are in charge of doing all the really awesome uh, you know, cutscenes that those games provide. And now they're doing it in their own game. They're doing this, you know, uh, they're taking all that talent, you know, and bringing it here. So it was really awesome to work with them because they're they're just absolutely dedicated to quality. And uh, you know, I had a, I had a great time, you know, getting uh, kind of jamming with them and riffing off their ideas and things like that. It was really exciting. All right. I mean, I, I saw, for example, um, Catherine and a couple of other people have appeared in some various uh, intro videos that they put on YouTube as well. I've yes. Just... I've just observed, looking through some of the, the YouTube comments, for example, there's people who see, like, for example, the opening cinematic and say, yeah, I thought this game looked awesome, then I discovered it was, it was just chess. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what do you say to the, to the you know, people that just automatically naysay a game because it is built on an engine of a, a chessboard? Well, I think if they take a closer look at it, they'll see it's not, quote-unquote, just chess. I mean, if you want to play chess, you can do that. That's one of the, like, the sub... That's one of the basically sub-functions of the game. If you want to set it up to just play a game of chess, you can do that. A game of chess um, but, with awesome animations. With the, yeah, but, I mean, so, so that is absolutely something you can do, but it's it's really, that's like taking um, Don of War and saying, well, this is basically, you know, just moving, you know, guys around on a battlefield. Because there's more going on than that. There's guys throwing grenades, there's special abilities, there's librarian powers, there's all kinds of stuff going on that added a whole new level of tactical uh play to basically, uh, you know, the chess engine. And when I say the chess engine, it means your figures basically move on the board like they would uh, in a chess game. So if you have a guy who's a knight, he's going to move in that particular, you know, pattern. Uh, but because the guys who are knights generally have jetpacks, they can also do some cool special moves and things like that, right? And it's, uh, again, you know, there's like, like a lot of stuff going on there. I, I, I have, if you've played this skirmish level, right, have you played it? I have, yes, yep. Yes, so you you know you can throw grenades and do uh you know snapshots and your your terminators can blaze away at a dude from you know across the board. So you can you can actually take your your enemy's pieces out by shooting. You don't have to just run up to them and, and attack like you would in a regular regular chess game. So there's a lot more going on here, and I hope people you know give it a little bit more credit than just being oh it's just chess because that's that's a very basic <laughs> description of the game. That's it. I mean. This is going to make me sound super nerdy, even more so than a person who, who runs a podcast about a, a role-playing game. But uh, I, I used to play quite a bit of chess back in my time. Never, never in competition, but I did used to teach chess to to uh, younger kids in, in, in um, I guess, prep school. And, Brilliant. Uh, uh, in, in playing this game, so I, I played the basic standard chess mode first, and then I, I tried the skirmish mode. And, and as you say, on top of the regular rules of chess, where if a piece would take a piece using the regular rules it's an automatic it's an automatic kill but you've also got these special abilities which can damage the pieces and eventually kill them so i found that my tactic was to get a piece into a position that had the king in check but had another piece blocking it uh, but the king couldn't move anywhere else and neither could that piece get out of the way of protecting the king and then just shoot down that piece that was protecting the king until he was dead and then win the game so yeah there's a whole extra right. tactical 
element of it or strategic element that is not present in just a standard game of chess. You know, a game of chess has basically binary situations. This will work or this will not work. Here you've Correct. got chance, you've got you know, all your trips of a mischance, the damage is random, you know, there is a, a, a strategic element of the game as well. And on top of that, you can, uh, well, some of the, the missions in the storyline are going to have slightly different win conditions, right? It's not going to be, every time you play, it's not just going to be, you know, uh, check the king. There's going to be some missions where you need to take out a specific piece. There's going to be some missions where it's just like crossing the board. There's going to be some missions where, uh, you know, you need to destroy every piece on that board. It doesn't matter whether you kill the king or not kind of a thing. So, yeah, the, the missions are going to change that that victory condition as well. So it's going to make it a, a slightly different uh, challenge, which I think is exciting. All right. So what about people out there who have never played chess? I, I know it's rare in our sort of group of, uh, in, our, in our hobby as such, but I mean, I'll say, for example, I've got my wife who has played the 40K RPG, but has never learned to play chess. Can they right. get into this game and still play it and still have a good time? I think they can. I think they're going to find it a little more of a learning curve. Uh, there's, I think there's going to be a pretty robust, if I'm not mistaken, there's a pretty robust uh, section on uh, like a tutorial that teaches you, you know, what your what your guys do, how they move, that kind of a thing. They, I believe, uh, Hammerfall. They told me when they when we were working on this, they, I believe they have a chess grandmaster that came on board to design the missions, right, and and work through the tutorial. So, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a pretty robust, uh, you know, thing for new new people who haven't ever played chess. If they really want the uh, the resources out there to uh, to learn how to, to to take advantage of it. You know, that being said, this is a very, it's a particular type of game, and it's probably going to appeal to a particular type of player. Like, I mean, I think there's guys out there who, I don't know who they are, and I probably would get into a big argument if I met them, but there, I know there's people out there who are not uh, fans of the turn-based strategy uh, approach, right? So, you know, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to appeal to the people that, that like that anyway. Okay. I mean, just the tutorial level itself teaches you the shortest checkmate you can achieve in chess anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. So you can you can learn, <laughs> le, le, learn the fast checkmate from the tutorial. All right. Uh, well, so I think, what, I, I think when right. the game when it, when it fully unlocks, I think there's going to be more of a tutorial. That's what I'm saying. But uh, okay, I don't I don't know for sure on that one. Um, so what inspiration did you draw from the I mean the setting, the role playing games? I mean, I know for example you're a big fan of Death Watch in terms of the role playing games. That you said that before. That's probably one of your favorite settings. Um, so, yeah, what, what inspiration did you draw from your work on the RPGs to bring into this game as well? Oh, absolutely, Death Watch was a big draw. I mean, uh, that's where you play Space Marines on the tabletop. So, you know, taking on the role of these these Blood Angels as the protagonist, I, I did draw a lot from that. But in addition, I drew a lot from the fiction. Like, <clears throat> Matt Ferrer uh, does some really excellent... Uh, some really excellent 40k fiction, as does James Swallow. I think James Swallow is the guy who does all the uh, the Blood Angel novels for Black Library. Is that right? That's, I believe that's right. Yeah, I think he does all the yeah. um, all the Sisters of Battle ones as well. Yeah, yeah. So James Swallow's uh, work on the on the Blood Angels in fiction was a was a big inspiration to me too, because I really like that guy's writing. Um, Horace Heresy has a lot to do with you know kind of telling us about mythic elements of uh, space marines because you know I always see them as not just these you know post-human surgically and genetically modified killing machines I see them as like sort of a cross between the knights of the 
the Knights of the Round Table and like the heroes of the Battle of uh, Troy, right? The Siege of Troy. You know, I'm thinking the guys like Achilles, Ajax, Lancelot, Galahad. So I, I, I try to I try to write them in that fashion. I try to make it have a little bit of that mythic feel to it when you're when you're talking about Space Marines. They are they are a, a cool, very iconic piece of Warhammer forty thousand and it's it's a privilege to be able to write about them and, and tell stories about them. What about on the uh, the orc side? I mean, I think orcs are the primary protagonist, uh, at least what I've seen in the game. So, did you, get a, did you get a chance to put a bit of orc story in there too, or are they just the, the faceless enemy that the space marines face? Are, did you say protagonist? Oh, sorry, 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 antagonist, antagonist. Sorry. You know, I I would adore doing a game with orcs as the protagonist someday. Oh my god, that would be so much fun, wouldn't it? Um, no, orcs are orcs are the primary antagonist, at least at least early in the game, and I can't say any more than that. But yeah, absolutely, orcs are, uh, are a big part of the story. They are, uh, they are the antagonists you're going to face the most uh, in the early stages of the game, in, in the early stages of the campaign, and right now I think they're the only non-Space Marine army you can get on uh, early access. The orcs were really fun to write with. They are, you know, in my mind, they're basically the closest thing to comic relief that the Warhammer 40,000 universe has. So you got, you know, this very, very grim, dark setting, right? You've got just, it's five minutes to midnight all the time, and then the orcs show up, and they're just happy to be anywhere, right? You know, they're just, they just, as long as there's a fight, they are just, just as, you know, happy as a clam. And uh, writing orcs is, is super fun because they have that uh, slightly more jocular, uh, you know, approach. You can, you can, you can write, you can write lines that nobody else would ever say, right? Um, so yeah, they, they, it was it was a lot of fun working with the orcs on this project and uh, and making them to be an entertaining antagonist to uh, to fight against because uh, you know their dialogue is just you, you just get to you get to take a few a few more uh, liberties, I think. <laughs> exactly. Let me flip my earlier question on its head as well. So for people that play the role-playing games, um, you know, not just Death Watch, but all of them, what inspiration can they draw from playing Regicide into the role-playing game itself? Well, I think... <laughs> I, I don't want to give away too much of the, of the storyline because, again, it's, just, it's, on, it's still in early access and we haven't uh, you know, unlocked that feature yet. But there's some things I was able to do in the story that are very rarely seen. Uh, in the fiction, and I think if you're a role-playing game guy and you love, particularly if you love the Blood Angels chapter, I think when you play through that campaign, you're going to see some, you're going to see some revelations and things that you're going to be like, oh yeah, you know, that's a really interesting thing to put a Blood Angel character through, right? Some of the lessons they learn along the way, because you know that's kind of the essence of a story is to start a character out of one place and he ends up someplace very different, and and I was able to do that in this story with uh, Commander Draco. Who is the the guy you know in charge of the the Blood Angel detachment? So that's what I would say they would learn. They would they would be able to see some some storylines and things that maybe as a GM would inspire them to you know present some different types of challenges to their their characters. And from the standpoint of a player, it gives you an idea of different places your story can go. All right then. So I guess is there anything else that you would like to? Tell us about the game, about the story, about your involvement in it that you know you think that the listeners of this podcast would be interested in hearing. I've, I've sort of gone through my questions. Anything else that you had on the tip of your tongue? <laughs> well, gosh, I mean, if, the thing is, is, it's kind of frustrating at this point just because there's uh, the game's still in early access and it's not fully out there yet. 
And once the game is, is fully out in the wild, so to speak, I think I would be able to talk about it for probably an hour and just talk about, you know, oh, this is where this you know twist came in and this is where this happened. And uh, The thing I would say that I'm excited about saying you know, of regarding Regicide is that it's got layers to the story. And, for example, that distress call that you see when you start up the game, that is just kind of one layer. And I think it's going to be exciting to see people who sort of connect the dots between what you see in the, uh, the distress call and what you see explored by the Blood Angels as the game goes on. And it, I think that's, that's something I'm really excited. Anytime you're, you're a game master, right? I mean, you know this, James. When you're a game master and you have sort of interesting plot twists or secrets that are going to be revealed, you get, you get excited. You get that sort of, oh, I can't wait for them to you know, find this out, right? And that's kind of where I'm at right now with the, uh, the storyline because there's a lot going on there. And I think that's what I'm excited to see people you know, experience. Excellent. So, yeah, we'll definitely expect to hear an, an email from me you know, once the game has come out as well, because if you want to talk for now about the uh, the game once it's out, I'll certainly give you the, the platform for doing so. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, absolutely, because I think well, it's there's 50 missions worth of, of story there, so uh, you know, once the, once it's fully out, we can kind of dig a little more into the details. I'd be happy to to share that with you. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Ross, I want to thank you for your time as well. And uh, once again, the game is on Steam. Uh, in what, what do you call it? Early early access. Correct. That's it. So, so do check it out. It is uh, you know, fantastic as far as the 40k uh, mythos and, and feel goes. And uh, if you also enjoy chess, you're going to enjoy the game all the more. But you don't need to be a, a chess aficionado to, to pick it up and have fun with it because there is a whole other element to it as well. And uh, Ross, That's hopefully true. we can definitely get you back on again for a, a future discussion too. Oh, I'd love to. Absolutely. I, you know, I keep I keep my hand in playing. Uh, some of the 40k RPG from time to time too, so you never know. <laughs> and we'll see each other at Gen Con, right? That's so. it. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. Brilliant. Is is uh, are you both going or just you? Uh, just me at this point in time. I uh, okay. uh, Mike has uh, unfortunately gotten himself engaged, and uh, therefore has a uh, an extra mouth to feed as far as his finances go. And uh, oh, a, yeah. a trip to North America simply wasn't on the on the cards for him this year. Well, pass on my congratulations. And one thing I, I didn't mention earlier is I am the host of my own podcast called The Gamer's Tavern, and we talk about a number of topics regarded, you know, related to gaming and RPGs. And sometime we're going to have to do an episode on 40K, and I would like to ask you guys, invite both uh, uh, you and, and chat. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to get on there as well, definitely. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, you can find it on iTunes, I believe, The Gamer's Tavern, and uh, you've got a website yeah. for it as well? Gamerstavern.org, that's right. Signal lost. Decryption sequence terminated. Okay, so there we go. A bit of information about Regicide. And, yeah. and once again, thanks to Ross for, for coming on. Mike, you thought it was worthwhile? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely good always to hear from Ross and uh, find out what he's up to there. Um, look forward to hearing more from him and hopefully I'll be able to get my hands on Regicide as soon as everything's released and unlocked and... You know, get yeah. to play through it. I mean, you would have heard your interview. I basically mentioned that I've heard I've heard some negativity about the game where people are saying, but it's just it's just chess. it's just chess, whatever you know. But yeah, certainly, please do do check it out. You know, it at, has at its the own... end of the day, how many different types of chess have been released on the computer over the years? Exactly, loads. Exactly I mean, right. even if it is was just chess, which it isn't, 
um, it'd still be worth getting properly. And I will point out, by the way, that as we're recording the show, so we're, we're actually recording the show on July 1st. Yep. Uh, on July, on June, sorry, June 29th, there was an update for the game, which added new features. I have not yet had a chance to have a look. jump in and have a look at it yet. And, that, and the interview was recorded before that release as well. So yep. uh, I'd have noticed that the... There is now a marine in black power armor on the front cover rather than the red power armor of the Blood Angels that it used. So maybe they've unlocked another chapter. Uh, I'm not sure. I know White Scars were a exclusive for pre-orders um, yep. thing as well. But uh, yeah, maybe we've seen... Maybe there's the Raven Guard of the Iron Hands appearing now in the game as well. So we'll wait and see. Okay. All right, let's get on with the rest of the show. Yep. All subsequents report to the Administratum for career assignment. All right, so let's get into our topic about the, the Rattling for Only yes. War. Um, okay, so Rattling is a support specialty. Yep. Okay, uh, well, yeah, first of all, we should start off with the same way we talked about the Ogryn. You can create a Rattling Sniper from just the core book, or you can create Rattlings of other specialties with uh, Shield of Humanity. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, we're mostly talking about the Rattling Sniper from the core book. Yeah, I mean, we'll mention the, we'll mention the advanced specialties as well yeah. in the... Yeah, um, definitely. Exit, but uh, I, I think with the Ogryn, the, the difference is that... Um, you can get Ogryn's train as sort of different doctrines. I, th- I think a lot of Rattlings would sort of get that sort of crossed doctrinal yeah. train, though, as such. I mean, some of some of these, these advanced specialties relied more upon their, their innate abilities, too. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's true. But, I mean, with the with the, that rule set, you can create a, a Rattling Sergeant or a Rattling Weapon Specialist, yeah, which is essentially would be the Sniper. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. yeah. But we, we're not going to focus on that too much. We're going to focus more on what's in the main book and... Okay. Exactly. Let, let's let's start off. I mean, we should probably do some full disclosure here. I can say that neither you nor I are big fans of halflings slash Kenda slash gnomes. No, no, and, no, no, no. I'm not a big fan of Kenda. I'm not a big fan of anyone who tries to play any other short race like it is a Kenda. Okay. <laughs> that, that's what I'm not a fan of. You know, if they're playing a halfling as a halfling, no problems at all. Yeah. I've got no problems with someone playing a halfling. Bilbo Baggins, no problem. Cool dude. Kenda suck. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about the rattling in only war. Yeah. Um, I, I guess they. So I said they, they have three main specialties when it comes to their contribution to the actual to the reg, to the regiment. Yeah. First is that they are excellent stealth and infiltration experts. Yes. When I say infiltration, I don't mean like disguise. You know, it's, he's clearly a rattling. You can't put two rattlings on, on each other's shoulders and put a coat on and claim and to be a cl- claim to be a knob. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. But I mean, I mean, infiltration is in sneaking about you know, behind yeah. enemy lines and such. Yeah, um, they are fantastic marksmen. Yes, great snipers. Um, and I think the most important trait is they are fantastic cooks. Yes, <laughs> good chefs. <laughs> that's right. And and. and Obviously, there's a bit of jest there, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure that a lot of Imperial Guard are very appreciative of a Rattling's cooking when they have one in their unit. You know, if you yeah, oh, yeah. anyone who's eaten MREs will know that cooked food tastes a hell of a lot better. So, uh, yes. but you know, I think that the real thing here is they come from this sort of gregarious style where they integrate well into regiments of any type as such. You know, and the, yeah. I think the cooking is a part of that as such. You yeah. know, so I suppose really we should start really even before that, with what is a Rattling? Yes, that's a good point. Okay. <laughs> Some people are going to be going, Rattling? Aren't they people who serve on a ship? Yeah, that's, that's ratings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, okay, so Rattlings are a form of stable mutation, yep. like an Ogryn. Yes. However, unlike an Ogryn who is big and tough, they are small and lithe. 
Small and puny. Small and puny, there you go. Yeah, I'd say puny is more... Free. Well, it depends, because back in the day when ratlings first came along, they were space halflings. Yes. So they were just like a halfling in space, in every way. As opposed but, to the squats, which were the space dwarves. Yes. But we don't, we don't talk of them anymore. No. No. Let's, no let's, let's we get cease and desist letters. Yes. Um, but they've changed slightly over the years. They've now sort of got a more tiny Hugh Jackman Wolverine look about them. Instead of a tiny fat dude with big sideburns, look about them. Yeah, um, they've they've gone from the furry feet to the sort of furry faces and everything as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and they've changed in personality styles as well. They've changed a few minor details about them. They're not quite as kleptomaniac as they used to be, which is good. Um, yeah, so there's a change, and but generally they're mutant. That's it, yeah. yeah. But, but an accepted stable mutation. Accepted. And, and they have a they have a like, have a place in the Imperial Guard, basically. Yeah. All right. So, what about the Ratling's comrade, the Spotter? Yeah. I mean, this is going on the example that a Ratling's primary specialty is a sniper. You know, in in traditional warfare, snipers are generally two man teams: one sniper, one spotter. Yeah. And of course, the the spotter in this case is the the comrade for the Ratling, and another Ratling, of course. Yeah, I think that when we played our only war game before, we had one person playing a rattling, and he decided his rattling was constantly talking, whereas his comrade never spoke. Yes, <laughs> so he spoke enough for both of them as such. Uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's another rattling, and they're a good team. They work well together. They, like anyone who's worked together for some time, they become quite a, a good unit. Yes. All right. So when it comes to actually building the rattling, let's talk about that. So characteristics, I actually listed. I thought the, the top characteristic for me was basically perception. You well, know, if you can't see it, you can't shoot it. That's it, yeah. But not just that, but when it also comes down to infiltration as well. So, A, identifying who you need to try and avoid, and B, actually learning something when you actually infiltrated the enemy camp as well. You know, finding yeah. the evidence you need. Getting start. in there if you can't do anything once you're in there is pretty useless. That's it, yeah. yeah. But once again, as you say, yeah, it's, it's all well and good to have a fantastic shooting ability. If you can never spot your target... Not going to be quite as good. But yep. I, I did put ballistic skill next as well. Yep. Um, I thought. Well, their ballistic skill is going to be pretty good anyway because their base ballistic skill before they even roll a dice is pretty high. That's true. So, yeah, you're not going to be too in, in too much trouble there of not having good ballistic skill. That's it. Um, agility, I thought, you know. Um, I mean, they're going to get field crafts, for example, as a, uh, as a aptitude. So a lot of those sort of skills like stealth, etc., that run off agility are going to be good for them. Yep. Last one I thought was fellowship. Yeah, I coming, coming back to the sort of gregarious style, you know. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna do your dump stats for for, for rattlings, I'd, I'd be saying skill, weapon strength, skill, strength. Tough, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say on the weapon skill side, there are a few tough rattling scrappers, basically. Yeah. You know, I think the, oh, they they do exist. It's just it's rarer than you know. It's rare to find a halfling who's really good at close combat compared to an ogre who's really good at close combat. So you know, build on the strengths you have. The stats that you get at base before you even roll any dice sort of point you in a very strong direction of which way the character's going to go. That's it. All right, so skills-wise, I put down athletics. I, I sort of skipped over acrobatics. Acrobatics is a traditional agility skill, but I didn't think it really fit into that sort of... Sniper. Yeah, survivalist. Yeah, it's kind know, of hard to do a backflip when you're carrying a massive sniper <laughs> Exactly, yeah. But with athletics, you're talking about climbing, climbing jumping, swimming. swimming. So that's right, yeah. yeah. And, and we all know PCs can't climb. Yeah. All you need to do is listen to our, our Roll20 game and you'll, you'll quickly pick that up. Uh, but yeah, I think rattling should have that sort of ability. Yep. Uh, awareness fits in Obviously, well with that perception yeah. side as well. Uh, I think a social skills go, probably deceive. As you know, they're not really kleptomaniacs, but if you look at, like, for example, the fixer archetype, 
Yeah. You know, they uh, aren't good at appropriating things, for example, and, and talking their way out of trouble too. Yeah. So I think the C is probably the social skill you really want. Uh, navigate. I think as, as you know, sniper team, they need to be able to get around. Get around, find um, their targets. Especially when they're in, in infiltration as well. Yep. Uh, sleight of hand. Another, I mean, once again, not just to steal things, but actually to actually take the information they need from enemy camps as such, or wherever yep. they might be. Yep. Uh, stealth, obviously, for their infiltration Very important side. for a sniper. Um, I thought survival. Definitely yep. important for a sniper as well. And last one, trade cook. Trade cook. Well, they get that to start with, I think. And, yep. Yeah. Well, but you can still take it. Further. Yeah, known, trained, you know, expert, etc. You know, it's yeah, you ma- mastery up. trade cook. Yes, you know, <laughs> can do all those things. Uh, okay, so speaking of talents, I put down a few here. Uh, first, I put down combat sense is an odd choice because combat sense lets you use your perception bonus instead of your agility bonus for your initiative. Yeah. Now they're probably gonna have a good agility, but they're probably gonna have a better, better perception. perception. That's right, which is why this might be worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, crack shot. Let's you add plus two to your range crit damage. Uh, Dead eye shot gives you the reduced penalty for call shots, along with sharpshooter, which further reduces it. Marksman, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Eye of vengeance. So spend a fate point to uh, increase the damage and penetration by your degree success in the attack roll. Yep. Uh, Heightened senses. I think fits in well with the perception side of it. Lightning reflexes. So I mean, roll twice for initiative. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Snipers really need. High initiative as such, you know, they're, well, so they're, so they're usually the first one to act in combat anyway. Yeah, because they're, the they're the person that, in, that starts the combat. But yeah. I, I suppose it depends if you're doing a sniping role as a person sneaking in and assassinating someone, or if you're doing a sniping role as someone giving covering fire from a long way away to everyone else. Yeah. In which case, you're going to want to go first, so that as soon as people start running out of that bunker, you've held your action and you can start shooting them as soon as they step out. That's true, right. Uh, you mentioned before Marksman. Yeah, definitely. Um, mighty Shot. Mighty so Shot. Half your blissful bonus to damage. Uh, I put down Peer. Uh, so I think once you can come into that sort of social nature of the Rattlings, it's worthwhile taking Peer. But the first one I would take would be Peer Imperial Guard. Yeah. Because they do get on well with the other members in their unit normally. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Uh, rapid Reaction, so they can test to ignore surprise. Uh, target Selection. Shooting the melee with no penalty. Your friends will thank you for that, definitely. Definitely. Um, okay. Uh, some of the ones that came from the uh, uh, the new book, from, from this is from uh, Shooting Humanity, include things like uh, Overlooked. Yep. So if you uh, if a character or an enemy who is larger than you has not been attacked by you, they have to make an intelligence test to be able to target you. You also have to know and target someone else. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a small guy. You can't do any harm. You know, it's... Much like in The Simpsons, you know, I'm waiting for the little guy to do something. You know, he's had nothing yet, but it's going to be cool when he does it. Um, okay, uh, Rattling Requisitions allows you to spend fake points to acquire items as yes. such without making a roll. Yeah. Um, sure. And, for, sorry, go ahead. And that's not just the character has stolen the items. That's also other Rattlings have stolen the items and they're willing to trade amongst themselves to get hold of it. That's it. Uh, Surefoot Wayfinder... Uh, so it allows you to move through difficult terrain and also gives you a bonus on tracking. Yep. And uh, the big IR, which allows you to uh, modify the hit location on opponents that are larger than you. Now, obviously, most opponents are larger than a rattling. That being said, you've, yes, you've got things like um, Dead Eye, Shot, and Sharpshooter. However, the bigger they are specifically calls out vehicles as well. Yes. So if you're targeting a vehicle and you've hit the hole... Well, yeah, you could. You, you've also got to remember that if you do uh, a targeted a called shot with um, 
Dead Eye Shot or any yeah. of those. That's done as a cooled shot action. Yes. This one works on any shooting action that you do, lets you modify it. So yeah. You don't have to declare beforehand, I'm targeting his head. You can, if you're good with this talent, you'll be able to hit him in the head anyway. Yeah, so you could shift from hitting the vehicle's hull to hitting the, the motive system or the crew, yep. for example. Yes. That's it. Uh, and also, this leads you to Giant Killer, which basically lets you do more damage against opponents that are larger than you as well, which once again is most, most opponents. Yes. Exactly right. Uh, okay, so talking about advanced specialties, there are three presented in uh, Shield of Humanity, which basically give you three different styles of rattling. of rattling. So the first one is Fixer. So this is playing on the concept of that socially inclined rattling who knows just how to get things. You know, the, it's, it's, it's your red from Shawshank Redemption or uh, what's the character from The Great Escape who can get everything? My wife's going to kick me for not knowing this. She loves The Great Escape. I don't know. I don't oh, remember. Okay. Oh, well, I, I, I wonder just went out the window straight away there. Uh, well, uh, anyway, that guy from the Grace Cape can get everything. You're just like that guy, anyway. Yeah, the American. <laughs> uh, uh, no, yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so next up we've got the long shooter, which is here we go. This is this is your sharp shooting sniper rifle using rattling to a T. Yes, they already get these abilities with the base specialty, but the sharp shooter, or sorry, the long shooter, gives even more traits which help them out in this respect. Yep. And then finally the trailblazer. So the Rattling Trailblazer is your... Scout. Yeah, you will the survival expert as such, you know, the yeah, scout infiltration expert. Uh, I mean, I could see a character potentially going through all three of these advanced specialties over the course of their career, for example, so... If they live yeah. that long, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yes. <laughs> well, that's a good thing about the sniper specialty. You tend to be far away from the rest of the battle. So, it, it, you know, if the battle does go poorly and it looks like it's going to be a total party wipeout... They're probably going to be the one person who gets to escape. You've actually touched on something I wanted to discuss in our war gear section as well. Oh, so okay. Let's come back to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here's some tips on um, how to play a rattling. So first thing is I'd say is make sure you play up the gregarious nature of rattlings. You know, everybody likes a rattling, uh, and and you know, make sure you show why. You know, be that guy who everybody wants to be friends with, who can get anybody anything, who cooks a fantastic meal. You know, but also don't forget to add a little bit of feral to this. Because that's one of the things that's changed about halflings. In, you know, they're, they're almost like mini space wolves. Yeah. Especially with their, with their you know, bushy sideburns and such. Yeah, you know. Except for less suck. Yeah. <laughs> that's big coming from you, Mike. Come on. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, there's a little bit of feral about them as well. Um, and I guess, you know, finally, you know, if you've played halflings in other games, make sure you embrace that inner halfling. You know, yeah. they, just remember that they are you know, smaller than everybody else. They know they're smaller than everybody else. And generally, the smaller something is, the bigger the personality is. Yes. Yeah, so so feel free to you know, ham it up as much as you like. Just don't become... Kenda. Kenda, exactly right. For those who don't know what a Kenda is, it's from uh, Dragonlance. Yep. And essentially they're kleptomaniacs who never tell the truth ever and always get the rest of the party in constant trouble. <laughs> so racist, Mike. It's true. <laughs> Damn Kenda, come here, ruin our country, steal our jobs, steal that gold, dra- you know, gold from the dragons. There we go. Damn Kenda. All right, then, let's move on. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. Okay, so onto our plot hook. And yep. in thinking of today's sort of idea, I, I wanted to draw inspiration from something existing. I, I, I've looked at films, especially after having reread Eleventh Hour for our uh, for our review coming up in a few seconds' time. I, I was thinking about this sort of the classic, I guess, Vietnam style war. Um, war zone as such you know and, and you know coming to things like the Katachan jungle raiders and such that sort of thing uh, <laughs> jungle fighter sorry 
uh, I look, I've thought about films like, you know, Apocalypse Now or, uh, or Platoon, you know, which I have seen, once again, Mike, just to remind you. Yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, you know, how can we take some of these sort of classic war films and, and adapt, you know, a story that we could use in only war as yep. such? I mean, you started to have an idea sort of based around the sort of platoon concept, didn't you? So what, yeah, you want to give us I that mean, one? It's pretty easy to do, so long as you've actually seen the movie, James. Mm. Um, all you have to do is just pick the main storyline, which is essentially two squads working side by side. One squad finds out another squad's done something heretical. They may have, you know, had a dealing with the alien instead of just shooting them. They may have traded for war gear or they may have let some aliens escape because they were you know, feeling too fatigued to fight. They may have stolen some supplies which were, you know, dropped in for a different group. There's lots and lots and lots of things which you can do which would be considered heretical. Um, You know, it it could be something trivial, it could be something major. And then you have no one really to tell. If your group doesn't have a commissar, this becomes even more pronounced because whoever you tell, they're going to be asking questions of, well, how did you know about that or... What did you do, or whatever. And then there's going to be some animosity as well, because this other group knows that your squad knows, and they're going to be expecting something to come from it. So they may decide to try and clean it up and uh, protect themselves. And in most situations, these squads are going to be working side by side in larger battles, and that support may not be there when you need it. So there has to be the sort of the wheeling and dealing to try and protect yourselves or wrap them out or cover their tracks for them or help them if you're so heretically inclined. That's it. And someone's going to be young Charlie Sheen as well, riding, riding home to the parents all the time. Yeah, yeah. Or to the grandmother, I think, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the other idea I looked at was going on to, say, Apocalypse Now, which is the concept that your, your squad has been tasked with tracking down a squad which has gone rogue yeah, potentially with a you know a very well previously well regarded leader as such, who the, the Imperial Guard fears might be dangerous if he falls into enemy hands as such. So they are sent to to bring them in or, or you know dispose of them potentially as well, knowing the way the Imperium works. Uh, but to get to them, they basically got to fight through a war zone. So they're literally fighting through their enemies just so they can come into conflict with people that used to be their friends as such. You know, yeah. and, and it, this is good for if you want to play that real sort of. War is hell campaign, yeah. you know the 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 dehumanising side of side of warfare as such. So, oh, that might work as well in terms of a, a plot, you know. So, certainly look towards war movies when it comes to bringing up. We, we've spoken about this before. We talked about movie inspirations too. But uh, yeah, you can really get some great plot hooks from a lot of lot of films. And as I said, I I find that uh, depending on your war zone, like for example, Vietnam films work really well for anything in a jungle, for example. So oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's so many good films out there. Okay. Alright then, let's move on. Yep. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. Alright, so on the Wargear side, I actually want to sort of look at two pieces of Wargear today. Or sort, of like a, sort, of a, sort of a comparison, you might say. Oh, okay, side-by-side comparison? Yeah, that's it. Well, uh, the Standing I'm... in Walmart, looking at two items, <laughs> deciding which one to pick? That's it, yeah. yeah. On, one, on one side here, we have the venerable sniper rifle. You know, And, and this comes back to our, our conversation about Ratlings as well. Yep. Okay. The other side, we have the long lads. Yeah, so, Sniper rifle every time. Yeah, what, 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 okay, what's your reason for that? Longer range. Longer range, yep. For the extra 50 metres is a big deal for you? It's, yes. I mean, it's an extra th- one-third range, basically. So well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 50 metres, but then at long range, that's 100 metres. And then in extreme range, that's 150 metres. 
you know, it yeah. adds up. <laughs> All right, so I mean, let's let's talk about it. So as you say, the, the range is two hundred on the sniper rifle versus one fifty on the long laz. Yeah. Uh, the long laz has double the ammo capacity, so twenty rounds in the sniper rifle, forty in the long laz. That being said, you know, there's the old if saying, you're a sniper that needs to shoot something forty times, <laughs> yes. you, you shouldn't you should be, should be shooting at it. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, okay. They uh, there's one more point of damage on the sniper rifle. Yep. Uh, so it's one d ten plus four as opposed to one d ten plus three. Yep. Uh, they both have the accurate quality. They both have the reliable quality. Yep. However, the long laz has felling four. Okay. So, I mean... I suppose it comes down to what you're fighting against. This is one of those situations where it's quite acceptable to have both or to just requisition whichever one's going to be best. Yeah. If you're going up against something big and tough, like you have to go out and you have to shoot a war boss, you're going to take the long laz. If, however, you're going out for standard missions to just cover other people against standard orcs, cultists, you know, corrupt PDF troopers, the sniper rifle is probably going to be a better choice. The other option, the, the other consideration is ammo. Yes. A long laz can be recharged in the field. You can recharge your power packs. Yeah, throw it, you can, throw it in a fire. You can throw it in a fire if the worst comes to the worst and just recharge it. You, everyone else is going to be carrying laz guns of some kind. Yeah. You know, fallen foes and friends will probably have some sort of laz weapon that you can get a clip out of. Sniper rifle, not so many choices for getting hold of ammo. It's one of those things as well where if if all you read of traits or all you read of talents was the description, the short description in the charts, yes, you would be going, oh, long laz every time, laz gun barrage, extra degrees of success, you know, which of course really helps with with accurate weapons as well. However, it does say when you read it in the section in the book that only applies when you take the full auto or cinematic action as well, which you yes. can't do with either of these weapons. Yes. All right, so let me come back to the point I mentioned in the rattling conversation. I want to come back to as well. As you said, extreme range. You've got several hundred meters on a sniper rifle, or you know, you still got several hundred meters on a long as well. As a GM, what are the considerations you have when you have a person who wants to play the sniper? Because they may want to get set up well ahead of time, well away from the battlefield, somewhere they are not under any threat, and literally every single turn they're just picking. You know, taking their shots, taking one person out every round. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, say they may not kill somebody around, but effectively they are they are doing attacks and damage with impunity every single round, pretty much. Okay, right. You've seen Saving Private Ryan. Yes. You've seen how they dealt with the sniper. Yes. Yeah. He, <laughs> That's most how you do it. he most <laughs> certainly was not picking people off with impunity. Yeah. At some stage, they're going to go. We're taking a lot of fire That's from it, that yeah. sniper. Put, 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 put a mortar on that nest, or that something. Yeah. 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 Yep. Call in an airstrike. They might divert something to take care of it. They may go, you know what? Send a squad up there, clear it out, take hold of that position, and we'll use that position to shoot our, our you know, his former allies. Um, there might be scouts which were, you know, going around the battlefield. There might be skirmishers who were trying to flank the enemy, which end up coming up directly behind the sniper. You can always take care of it if it does become an issue. I think every so often you have to let the sniper do the sniping job, yeah. and you just have to go. Well, that's what snipers do. Yeah, he's got the mix of the good opportunities, but also the the perceived risk as well. Oh. But I well, think... there is a there's a massive risk because as we've described, snipers are not particularly good in close combat. Yes, and they're completely alone. There's not going to be anyone else with the sniper other than uh, their companion. Yeah, spotter. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And the spotter isn't really going to do much in close combat to help the, the rattling sniper. So they are taking a big risk. I think it's a good idea that if you've got a sniper in the group, and this is a concern for you, 
draw up your own enemy's battle plans before the game even starts. Yeah. And then just let them do whatever they're going to do and let your plans roll out. As well, that's it. I mean, consider the fact as well that, that snipers are a known part of... Warfare. Modern warfare as such, you know. Yeah. So a lot of the time, you know, squads will have plans for how they deal with snipers, you know, whether it might be their own counter-sniper... You know, it may be that they they use, they use ordnance, for example, yeah, but they... And every race has something to deal with it as well. Yeah. You know, Tyranids use gargoyles to, to flush the snipers out with flame spurts. Yeah. You know, burn them out of the, their, their hiding place and then they get shot to pieces or ripped up. Um, orcs, not so much. They're more likely to just go, oh, let... You know, he's in that sniper nest over there. Charge him. Charge him or... <laughs> Blast it with something <laughs> really big and yeah, we'll, we'll complete get, overkill. We'll get there before he can kill all of us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously, PDF troops are going to have other snipers to do sniper battles. You know, and if your sniper is a known threat, they may have their own sniper set up. And as soon as your sniper takes a shot, he lets himself get known as to where he is, unless he's taken silencers and suppressors and all that sort of stuff, which, let's be honest, most players don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one wants to be the Bismarck in warfare. That's for sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, as, as a GM, I would certainly be trying to encourage the sniper character to you know, identify that some battlegrounds there's not going to be a valuable sniping point from, and, or it's going to be a close range sniping. Yeah. Point. And and say you know, sometimes you do have to stay with the group. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, or you know, for example, we are moving from point A to point B. If you want us to hang it back, you know, three hundred meters behind us to snipe, that's fine, but yeah, you know, you're always going to be that distance behind us as such. And eventually they're going to go over a hill. Yes. <laughs> because, even, you know, line of sight still matters. In yeah. a jungle situation, a sniper isn't quite as useful as you might think. Yeah, that's it. So just, I mean, it's something to think about. How you, how you, if you want to have someone who's going to play a sniper in your game, think about how you're going to keep them involved. Keep them under threat as such as well, but and keep them with and interacting with the group too. Yeah. But yeah. remember, they are snipers, so you should let them snipe. Yes. Otherwise, why take sniper? Exactly right. All right, then let's move on. Yep. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. Okay, so onto our review. We've already worked through all the various only war books, but then I realised that uh, what we've been, what we haven't reviewed yet is a lot of the web supplements that have been produced for these settings as well. And at the end of the day, some of these are not too huge. I mean, you looked at the. The book I had here and said, "What are you going to review next, James?" You know, a napkin, for example. Yes. Uh, but I mean, they're similar size to say what comes with the GM's kit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in fact, what I'm reviewing today, eleventh um, hour, as I have in a physical format, actually did come out first as a physical product on a free RPG day just after the launch of Only War. Yeah. You know, it was designed to be a introductory adventure to get people into the sort of style of, of Only War. Uh, so let's talk about that eleventh hour now, Mike. You haven't played it. No. I haven't run it. No. But I have read it. And i got to say, I actually quite like this. Okay, it has some flaws, and I'll, and I'll tell you all about them. But otherwise, I actually really quite like this. Um, so first off, it actually includes pre-written characters. Yeah, okay. there's, there's, you well, can, it should. If it's trying to get people... Adventure, introductory right. adventure, trying to get people into the game, they're probably not going to own the book. It's a free RPG day game. I'd expect them to. Exactly. Does um, it have enough characters? Okay, so it comes with four characters in the book. Now... I don't know about you, but if I run an event, for example, at a convention, I'll usually target six people. Oh, oh five, said five. Five or six. Five or six, yeah. Okay, so there's four characters in the book. There are additional characters made available on the FFG uh, website as well. Yeah. You know, that are all on par with the others. Uh, I think there's three or four extra characters. 
Oh, that's okay. That yep. gives you a good choice. What gets me here is that... So in the main book that you get, you get two standard specialties in the form of the heavy gunner and the weapon specialist and two support specialties in the form of a tech priest or sorry, tech priest engine and an ogren. Okay, yeah, that's 50-50. Yeah. It's a little heavy, but that's okay. That's it. All the additional characters you get off the website are support specialties. Oh. Yeah, there's a rattling, there's, so there's a commissar, no there's, no there's a second ogren, you know, like... Yeah, um, so they doubled up on some before they even hit the pilot or the, the sergeant. That's it. Like I mean, it. For my mind, when I run Only War, when people are making their carries, I say I want at least half of the group to be standard specialties. Yeah. You know, because I think that... Otherwise, uh, it's like running Dark Heresy. Yeah. yeah. There, there's no cohesion as a, as a unit. Yeah. I'd rather have it as a you know standard unit of men with one or two specialized individuals as such you know so and this is one little flaw i found with this is i would have liked it more if they'd gone for some of the more that being said i can see if you look at the weapon special say versus the sergeant okay the difference there is predominantly role playing not so much how they work out on paper such some people might say well this is here's a look here is a guy with a las gun and here's a guy with a las gun you know they're they're, they're, relatively similar as such but uh that's just a, a small thought but Otherwise, I mean, the characters here are well made. They've got little sort of backstories to them. You could certainly run the game with your own characters as well. I would certainly not encourage a GM to run this game in the middle of their campaign. And I'll explain why in a little bit. But as a starter for a campaign, maybe. As an end for a campaign, certainly. Uh, but I'll come on to shortly why I wouldn't say. Just grab your current only war group and run them through uh, the town straight away. That's it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so, uh, so could this be done as a flashback to something which has happened to another group in the campaign? Uh, to another group, yes. Not, no, okay. not, not, not as a flashback for the current group. No, <laughs> I, I get the distinct feeling that this is going to end very platoon. Okay, so um, it's set on the world of um, Aeris, or Eris, uh, which is in the um, uh, Caracalia system, uh, which is in the only war setting. Uh, there's a, a nice brief on the planet, uh, particularly on the area of battle wet that takes place in the game as such lots of different features you know uh, fortifications natural features a lot you could do do things with tactically for the group basically okay um the the player characters in this case are catachans so they really fit with a sort of jungle setting other regiments may work as well certainly this this mission would not work with say an armored regiment it's designed for a foot regiment, basically. So you're saying Death, uh, death Corps of Krieg uh, Siege Warfare Unit might yeah, see, have a bit no, of trouble? Maybe, maybe, maybe a Baneblade unit, for example, yeah, might have... Might have a bit of trouble? Super Heavy Tank Unit, yeah, might... No, they, they won't have any trouble at all, in fact. That's, <laughs> okay. what, that's what I'm getting at. Um, okay, so the module itself, and, and there will be some spoilers here. I'm, I'm going to keep it mostly spoiler-free. Uh, the module almost starts off in media ray. You know, it's not quite in the middle of a firefight, but... At the start of the module, the player characters are hunkered down behind enemy lines, cut off from friendly troops uh, in, a, in a war against orcs, basically. And, you know, in the opening scene, it, it basically encourages the player characters to do some initial roleplay first to get the, the characters introduced, as you would do in an introduction module. But pretty much shortly thereafter, they get a, a Vox call through that says that they can't respond to because their Vox has issues, that says that um, the orcs that they have been fighting, have basically flanked and uh, assaulted the Imperial Guard um, firebase, basically. Uh, yeah. And that the only way they can stop the Orc advance is to firebomb the entire area, glass the whole region. And that the basically they're going to be in this in 11 hours. So the group has 11 hours to get out of there, back to the safety of the Imperial firebase. 
And from this point on, the, the game is basically a series of vignettes. Um, you know, various encounters that the group has along the way. And it's almost like, have you ever played any of the Telltale computer games? Uh, I've seen a couple played. I haven't yeah. actually got to play any myself. Okay, so, so these are games based upon hard choices. Yeah. And very much, this is what you're looking at here. Straight away from the very first encounter, it suggests... So remember, okay, so the group has 11 hours to get back, okay? The very first encounter has the group encountering wounded men, okay? So they have the choice of, can we get these men out on foot? Can we somehow radio for an air pickup? Or do we just leave them behind, you know? Getting them in out on foot adds four hours straight away. It takes four hours off your... And this is the way each encounter Each encounter has various ways of solving the encounter. And a time... And a time that each of those ways basically creates. What I really like about this is that it's never a case of, here is a fight. If they do this, if they do this well, it takes this long. If they do this well, it takes... It's always down to the player character's decision. There may be fights. There may be conflicts. They are not what decides how much time takes. What decides how much they take are what they actually decide to do. The only exception being one of the fights where they have to prevent the orcs from destroying or damaging their vehicle or transportation methodology, basically, which means that if they fail to prevent that, then they have additional time to either go around the obstacle or to repair whatever it is they're using. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's a really interesting mechanic in terms of that, that sort of time countdown as such. Is it possible to do all of the things, pick everything correctly, and s- survive? Yes. Okay. okay. So, so, um, so you got eleven hours. Okay. Um, the final encounter is basically the at, at the final bridge that crosses the river that is you know uncrossable except by this bridge as such, and it's and it's supposed to end off with the group destroying the bridge to prevent the orcs from coming after them. How many orcs they face in the final encounter is based upon how quickly they got to the bridge. Okay. So, it starts off with seven plus hours. Seven plus hours is the smallest amount of forces your face there. So if you've managed to... Leave everyone dead or dying in yeah, your way. Yeah, it's only taken four hours to get there. So, yeah. okay, or less, you know. So presumably you could actually do that if, if you... Every time an opportunity came up to do something, the group is like, no, nah, we're just going to keep going. Okay, I guess potentially you can get there for the seven plus. But then as you go down six, five, four, etc., um, there's, more there's more and more orcs as such, the more you've got to get through. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's if, if your group gets to zero hours... There's no roll. There's no fate points, men. It's just they are... Yeah, firebombed they and are killed. They are firebombed and, <laughs> and, and killed, basically. Yeah, so... Uh, and, and I can see, for example, this being... For, do they for, get to do a William Defoe as they get firebombed? <laughs> sure they could, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I can see, for example, a group that starts off with... Okay, so... Um, not thinking about the 40k mentality. This is my first time playing only war. Okay, so it's a war game, right? Okay, so it's like we're soldiers. Okay, no worries. First encounter, wounded soldiers. Got to help the wounded men, you know, blah, 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 etc. Go through this. And then after like four encounters, like, okay, guys, we've got like two hours left. And suddenly here's this Imperial Guard, Imperial Guard Sergeant who is, you know, held down by, by enemy fire as such. I don't think we've got time to save him, you know, like, like you know, and, and suddenly they're going to face these these moral choices further along. You know, they, you literally, you cannot do the most advantageous thing morally in every single encounter and still Survive. get there within the 11 hours or so. So at some stage, you're going to have to make the choice to leave someone behind. That's right, yeah. So, um, you know, it's wounded men, it's superior officers, it's superior equipment, you know, all these things that, you know, you would really want to take with you as such. But, uh, I mean, the, the antagonist all the way through it is orcs. 
but the environment is a big antagonist as well. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of times where it really comes down to almost like a gamble. Like, okay, so here's a situation where this we look at this thing and it could this could be really hard to cross, or we could go around it. You know, we're going to take the risk of going across it and maybe injuring ourselves in the process. I mean, a couple of times it's like you know, if the group stops to heal here, bang, there's an hour gone, another hour gone. You know, if they keep going, don't there's any time, but injuries don't heal as such. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it could it could lead to a really tense four or five hour game as such. Okay. Yeah, and I, I really like the way it's been put together. I said my only real complaint with it is the fact that a you the pre gen characters are all very heavily biased towards support specialties. Once again, I can sort of see why, except for the two Ogren. Uh, I, I can understand after hearing the description, I can understand why there's no sergeant yeah. or commissar. Because then it would be one person making these calls. The decisions. That's right. Yeah, and and the the sergeant. Is an NPC in the in the game. He starts off at the start, but it makes it very clear that the sergeant's the sort of person where he won't be afraid to leave somebody behind, and he won't be afraid to stay behind himself if he feels he is limiting the group. So I would certainly, if I was running this, injure the sergeant relatively early on and tell him, you know, tell him to tell the troops keep going, you know, go on, Come without, on me. without me. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Tell my wife <laughs> I love her. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's really good. But once again. It'd be very easy to screw up and not make your 11-hour... I, I can almost see... It's almost a game that's like worth playing multiple times. It's like a board game. It's like, oh, we didn't make it this time. Okay, let's try to get make different decisions, you know. Yeah. Just like with the Telltale games as well, you know. Let's, let's, this is what happens if we make the other decisions as such, you know. Okay. Um, but yeah, certainly for if it was for your PCs... Once again, for a flashback, because we all know if it's a flashback, the PCs can't die. Well, no, I'm talking about for a flashback that you'd go, oh, we've, we've turned up on this planet and, you know, we're looking for this squad, which may have gone missing. Yeah. And then you could flash back to what actually happened to the squad and then, then go through, which is always an option when you have these camp- these games, these pre-published games, and you don't want to use it for your characters. You can always use it for, you know, a, a set of pre-gens as a flashback into what's already occurred in this war zone. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Okay. All right then. So definitely recommend Eleventh Hour. You can get it free off the FFG website along with the bonus characters. So do check it out. Okay. How many fire bombed uh, uh, grunts do you give this? I'm going to give it an eight. 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 Eight, eight, eight yeah. screaming grunts. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely worthwhile. Def- okay. Definitely. Yeah. If you, it's a great way to start a campaign or introduce people to the to the style of only war. Okay. Excellent. Grunts is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. All right, Mike, for our final discussion, this is one I, I literally thought up the other day while having a conversation with somebody else about another game system. Yep. And I want to talk about here encounter building. And, and just a moment ago in the break, we were talking about the size of the encounters in uh, 11th Hour, for example, the number of walks that you face. And I want to allude here to an inherent problem that's occurred in role-playing in recent years in general. And that problem has been primarily triggered by, in my opinion... 3.5 and 4th Ed Dungeons and Dragons. Now you have to win every fight? Yeah, it's, it's this concept of a challenge rating. That, you know, that a GM should build a balanced encounter. You know, that you know, if the group's total level is equal to 4, then you should use a challenge rating 4, and that will tax roughly 25% of the group's equipment and such. So after 4 encounters, the group should need a rest, etc., etc. This whole concept that it is a balanced mechanic. And I saw this when we started testing out fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons recently we played the um, Horde of the Dragon Queen module as such we started playing through that and in the very first chapter of that there are literally combats that are designed to be unwinnable by the PCs 
You know, one of them is a one-on-one fight between a first-level PC and a seventh-level NPC. You know, um, and and I said that that I can see that the intent here was not for the PCs to win or lose. It's that the fact that this 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 conflict took place was dramatically appropriate to the story. Yeah. And you know, whatever whatever methodology the PC, you know, that their, their survival was next to guaranteed but not necessarily their victory. And, and look, the game in this case had scope what happens if the players win, but it was unexpe- it was not really expected as such. Yeah. And, and I remember when I read this game and, and some of the players said to me afterwards, like, that sucked. You know, I, I didn't enjoy not winning. You know, getting my ass handed to me as such, you know. And I, I think that we sort of, you know, we've been a bit spoiled by games like 3.5 and 4th Ed D&D where we've expected that, in, that if, if we are having a fight, then this fight must be winnable. Yeah. You know, and in generally, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen that as well, but I've always sort of avoided that because I've got no fear of killing characters if they attack something that they really shouldn't attack. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to do. It, it sucks killing someone's character. It does, but yeah. yeah I mean, I've always enjoyed killing yours, but yeah, um, yeah I, I know you have, even without <laughs> dice rolls. Uh, okay, I, I want to quickly tell the story. This is nothing to do with this, but we we, we talked about it with with friends uh, during the during the uh, the last fortnight as well and I want to I want to bring this story to the table in the podcast as well just so it's shared um, as you know uh, from earlier shows we were running a Song of Ice and Fire role playing game that Mike was participating in uh, for some time and in the scope of this game every player had two characters because the, the game would chop back and forth between watching the activities of a noble house and watching activities of a group of men of the night's watch and my intention was, by the end of the campaign, to whittle the group down so that only each player only had one character. The two groups were brought together, but you know there were deaths and such, and so everybody had one character left over, and it was a mixed group of this noble house and the Night's Watchman who solved the final storyline. Now, Mike's character was Mike's Night's Watch character was really the first character that met an ignominious end. Uh, his character was a bard or minstrel as such who'd been sent to the the wall sent to, uh, to the Night's Your Watch. Mama. Yeah, for, for some minor offence as such, and really didn't want to be uh, a soldier as such. And the, you know, the main Night's Watch character was this grizzled veteran, sort of gave him a very hard time, was going to turn him into a, into a real soldier. And uh, Mike's character wanted to play his his um, harp. His harp. Well, he had a lute, didn't he? he had a lute. No, right? I had a harp, a yeah. lute, and a drum. That's it. So I had, I had the full set because you start with enough money that you can buy all three when you're not buying weapons and armor. There you go. So, because he couldn't fight for. So the player who was playing the uh, the leader of the Night's Watch group eventually tired of Mike's character singing and smashed all of his instruments. You know, so they said, that's it, you're done. Broke his heart, broke his lute, broke his drum. And Mike was left with nothing. You know, which was, I think, a bit upsetting for your character, would you say, Mike? Oh, devastating for the that's character. That's it. But in some some games later, uh, the group is captured by a, by a bad guy and placed in his dungeon. And um, this this bad guy came down to interrogate the group. Basically, they were all in separate cells, and um, started asking a few questions. And he basically decided that Mike's character was not really smart enough or useful enough to learn anything. So he said, "Look, you know, um, you're obviously not tied up this whole mess. So how would you like to join my retinue as my own new minstrel as such?" And Mike's character was like, "Yeah, sure. Easy to get out of this cell slash night's watch as such." And so the, the bad guy summoned his you know, other servant to bring down a metal harp, which he gave to Mike's character. And he says, okay, play me a, a tune while I finish talking to your friends here. And Mike's character did that. So he then proceeded to ask the, the other members of the Night's Watch various questions about what they were doing. And you know, they all refused to tell and such as they would do. And finally he said, okay, well, 
I'll give you something to think about before I come back and see you again. And promptly had his manservant rip the metal harp out of Mike's carry's hands, beat him to the ground with it, and then cave his skull in with several repeated blows to the head. No dice rolls. Um, you know, no, no, no mechanics in this. I just described that Mike's character was brutally beaten to a bloody pulp by a henchman with a metal with a with a now very bent metal harp. Yes. And the play the players were speechless. Like I, I think Mike started to have an idea that this was, this was coming on, um, but everybody yeah, else was I, like, "Hold on a sec, did that just happen? You, you didn't roll any dice. Like what, what the what the hell? You know, just you just arbitrarily executed a PC." And I said, it's Game of Thrones, you know. It's, it's It wouldn't be Game of Thrones without sudden, you know, unexpected deaths. Yeah. So. And I have to say, this does come back to the same thing you're talking about. Sometimes players seem to think that there's a mechanic behind everything yeah. that will let them live through anything. Yes. They put a gun in, you know, a psycho forces them to put a gun in their mouth and pull the trigger. That means you're going to be rolling damage and criticals. No, the character's just dead. Yeah. And there's no burning of fate to survive that unless you... You know, you want to somehow describe a fight club situation where where instead they manage to survive a you know, self inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Um yeah, I mean and you're right, it comes back to the D and D thing that oh, we're in a fight, we're gonna win. And sometimes players seem to think that GMs are scared of doing a total party wipe. So they will do things which are obviously suicidal. Oh, we have to storm this bastion. Well, we'll just charge the front gates. We won't bother trying to sneak in. We'll just charge it grenade the doors and, and burst our way in. And, yeah, it's a mentality that the players and GMs have to be wary of. You're yeah. right. You're right. You really are. That's it. So... And, and unfortunately, when you when you break this rule and you start to have, you know, unfair fights, players do feel if they've been if they've been brought up or getting, gotten used to this mentality, you know, especially if they play, for example, a lot of cons where the battle's meant to be sort of quite balanced... Um, yeah, I'll start to resent that. So you need to be able to present this in a fashion which is still fun for your players as well. Yeah, yeah uh, you're right. It, it comes down to this perception that somehow it's a competition game, that somehow it's the GM versus the players, therefore everything should be fair. Yeah. And it's not. It, it, for a start, it's not GM versus players. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's no need to put D4 Tarasks into a fight. You know, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's, it's just a case of making something which is... Okay, so so here are my aims when it comes to uh, encounter building. I want it to be something which is first off realistic. You know, if the group decides we are going to charge straight into the enemy camp and start fighting people, they're talking about fighting the entire enemy camp. You know, everyone's going to come out and start to defend it. It's not a martial arts movie. It's not one guy at a time. You know, if if that's the sort of group they take on, they need to face that, that, that size of group. It needs to be fun. Okay, now fun for the player characters, I believe means that you're not spending a lot of time managing things between player character actions as such. So if I've got a group of, say, five PCs, a common GM habit is to say, I'm going to put in one bad guy per PC. And you see it a lot in the books as well, where they don't know the size of the group. They'll say, you know, there are a number of opponents equal number of PCs. So I've got my five PCs, I've got my five NPCs. I've now got 10 initiative actions. Uh, you know, there are five actions that don't involve PCs doing anything. You know, it's going to become... I guess unfun for for the PCs as well, you know. Yeah. I believe that you've got to make sure that the expected outcomes of the fight are either relatively obvious at the start or become relatively obvious quite early on. Yeah. So you don't want the player characters thinking that they are you know, have got a very good chance of winning here when they really are, are not going very well, you know. So if if an opponent has 
so many wounds that they're having a hard time hurting it. You need to be able to say, this guy is shrugging off, you know, a lot of damage you're dealing to him, but he he just seems to keep coming as such, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, player characters go, I've inflicted 25 wounds so far. He must nearly be dead. Well, if he had 80 wounds in the first place, like some of the greater demons in some of the books, then yeah. no, he's not nearly dead. You know, he's not even halfway as such. It almost reminds me of the bloody mechanic from Fourth Ed D and D, where player characters get an outright knowledge of when a character's on half or lower XP, you know. Yeah. You don't have that as such, you know. You've got to, you've got to make sure that the PCs are appraised of what the situation is. Uh, and you need to basically make sure that you have an out for every situation too. Because even in a fair fight, bat rolls can go badly. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, a common example is, um, and we'll see this in our Star Wars game as well, we've only got limited characters with combat experience. And so if all the, if all the main combat characters are taken out, then... Just the fact that, you know, two of the four characters are still up is not going to mean as much when those two characters do not have good skills to handle, you know, armed and aggressive opponents as such. Well, when you consider we have a group of five pl- five characters. Yes. One is a com- true combatant. One is a partial combatant. Three are non-combatants. Yeah, this is our Star Wars game. This yeah, isn't a Star it. Wars game. That means that if that pure combatant goes down due to a lucky shot, bad roll, not being there for some reason... Yeah, it's going to be much, much harder for the rest of the group. You know, it's the typical thing of what do you do if a party of five wizards and one warrior go into into a dungeon encounter and the warrior then, you know, fails to hit with every single roll they do. Yeah. You know, it's going to go very badly. And this also comes to also to the fact that you have to make the enemies somewhat intelligent. If you've got ten cultists going into combat and the guy at the front is in full power armor, you're probably going to have four or five cultists go gang up on that one guy. Yeah. And don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to, you know... The NPCs know the, the world mechanics as it is, that if you, you know, a group of them gang up on someone, they're going to have a much easier time hitting. Yeah. So don't be afraid to let the NPCs do that sort of tactic as well. Yeah. I mean, certainly where you've got a group where one or, or a few characters in the group are expert combatants, yeah. I find it does work quite well to give them a single very tough opponent to focus on while the sort of the, the quote unquote non-combatants in the group can focus on lighter opponents, you know? So, yeah. you know, the, the real combatants focus on the, the court, the cult leader while everybody else deals with the, the mooks, you know, the, yeah. the, the henchmen as such. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, that works very well. And another thing you can do as well is if you want an easy combat and, you know, there is a certain satisfaction of, cleaving through 15 cultists with chainsaws and lopping limbs off and, you know, killing them outright with one hit each time. Don't be afraid to do that early on in the, you know, early on in the game. Um, it, it, you know, it can be good for a combat character to get into a fight where it's obviously mismatched and they're going to win. Yeah. Just make it clear that it's obviously mismatched and they're going to win. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I tend to aim with encounters to have no more than, no more opponents than the number of PCs minus one. So, in that respect, the PCs are always getting at least one more action between them than the NPCs are, so that more than half the combat time is spent focused on PC actions. You know, um, and you know, less less skilled PCs can gang up on you know an opponent as well in that respect too, because they they have that that number as advantage. Personally, I prefer to say there's a certain number of number of enemies mm-hmm. in this situation, and if the players can work out ways to get them one or two alone and pick them off. Yeah. Fine. If they end up going in there while they're all there, and there's more of them than there are PCs, that's what they're going to do. Oh, that's it, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's... 
little bit unfortunate that, yeah, it will be slow down the combat a bit. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the Mage game. They had the option to... You guys had the option to take two people out... Early on. Early on, but you chose not to do it for a tactical reason, um, because you weren't certain that if you did that, something else you needed later on would occur. Yes. And that's fine, but it meant then that you had to fight... And, and the way that you manage that from a GM point of view was you rolled a single initiative for all the opponents. Yes. So they were sort of like a single a single entity. So they still got all their own attack rolls, but yeah, it was relatively they, fast. They, they were also pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But they were supposed to be. <laughs> they weren't the threat in the fight. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh, and, and look, I mean, I suppose that you had, going into that encounter, you had ideas for what would happen if the group was going badly and decided to, to hoof it out of there. Yes, yep. yes. I also had like, plans for what would happen if the group was going very badly and decided to stick around and fight. Yes. <laughs> get even worse, bad, get even more badly for them, yes? Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what happens. You yeah. know, Everyone who goes into a fight is wanting to win. Yeah. And that's something also to remember about your NPCs. They don't go into a fight going, oh, well, looks like we're going to die here. I'm not even going to try. No. Yeah. That, that isn't how anyone goes into a fight unless they're really crazy. Yes. Or mindless to the point of being a zombie. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you've got this issue, I believe it's a problem inherent to our community at the moment because of some game things in the past. I think it's a so, problem inherent to our community because of computer games. Yeah. Don't be afraid as a GM to say to your players, hey, in the middle of the fight, just so you guys know, you've always got the option of running away. You know, it, 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 it remind people that that is an option. You know, it, it's it's a bit metagamey to do so, but I think that your players would rather, you know, quit the field and have their character survive, than sit around after the game. We just had a total party kill going. Well, that sucked. <laughs> you know, um, you know. But uh, coming back to that point about realism, don't just go and change things up because you want the players to win and they're. That they made bad decisions, had bad roles. You know, you got to take the good with the bad as well. Yeah, I have seen um, them. I have seen GMs uh, do things where, for example, uh, NPCs come in and, and save the day. For example, you know, like we, I really need the PCs to get past this, and they're having a hard time. So, you know, some of the bad guys flee, or for no apparent reason, or, or a group of NPCs suddenly turn up to help them out, as such. A that, better method. Yep. Taking care of that problem is to have the main bad guy say something along the lines of "Take them alive." Yeah, we will question them later for how they found us. Let me give you another example. Um, so, same same situation. Player characters are going poorly, and you think that as a gem, what you want to do is introduce some NPCs who are going to help them. Don't just go bang help arrives. Have a thing where like the message saying, you know, we're coming to help you will be there in three rounds, for example, or the equipment. Hold them off. Yeah, hold them off as such. It, it means that the player characters are still in charge of their own destiny. They have to hold the line until their backup arrives. Yeah. If the moment things get hard, bang, go back up, back up arrives, that just feels like, well, why did we do this in the first place? We should have sent them. But if you say, here's a situation where, you know, we can help you, but you need to hold on a bit longer, that means that the players have got that sort of tensing of, can we... Each round, round, round. That's right. We're, okay, they'll be here in one round. They'll be here in two rounds, whatever it might be. Counting down until the, the help actually arrives. I find that that helps too. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. If you're going to go that way as well, make sure the help is actually quite useful. It doesn't just turn up and get equally as trounced as the player characters. Otherwise, they're going to have to call for more backup as well, which just starts to get a bit ridiculous. Yeah, the backup yeah. needs backup. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I think there's no exact science to encounter building. There, there are these new threat levels in 
Dark Heresy Second Edition. Yeah. But once again, these are built, built around building the concept of a of a of a equal but challenging encounter. You know, I don't think you necessarily need that. And the same thing goes for the bad guys as well. If it's obvious that they're losing, don't be afraid to have them run away. Yeah. You know, this idea that you have to completely wipe out the enemy to to score the XP and the gold from this computer game mentality. It shouldn't exist. Yeah, and most enemies won't fight the last man. No, I mean, okay, run Colt, long before that. Yeah, Colt Fanatics, maybe, you know, but generally speaking, once an enemy sees that their things aren't going well, I mean, the best thing I've ever read was this article, or not an article, a chapter in the Unknown Armies role playing game, where they basically said the worst thing about being in a fight is that you have come into this other person who, you know, so you are a person who has wants and dreams and, you know, loves their mother and, you know, uh, has a job and things that they want to do in life. And you've got to realise that the other person in the room is just as much wants to live. They have just as many things going right for them in their life. But bad circumstances have put you in a situation where there's two of you and one knife and one person's going to be leaving the room and one person's not. You know, it, it's a scary situation for people to be in this sort of situation where they could lose their lives and a lot of people will. That's it. Like, you know, especially if their people are dying around and they will, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they will leave that scene as such. It's a realistic yeah. human reaction. And that's more for sort of named NPCs you might be using rather than faceless mook cultists. Yeah. Because it is 40k and life is cheap and they may well be totally dedicated to Grandfather Nurgle and ready to meet him. <laughs> so, you know, but if, you know, even dedicated cult fanatics, if there's 50 of them and 40 get hacked down in the first two rounds, the other 10 aren't going to sacrifice themselves in that way. Yeah. They're going to run off and think of doing something else. Or run off and let their master know so that the master can prepare and send even more cultists. That's it. So, you know. All right, anything else you want to say on this one? I think we've sort of said enough here. Uh, I think we've said enough, uh, you know. I think we gave me really solid advice, just a whole bunch of ideas and conjecture on it, really. Yeah, I don't think there is a solution to this problem. Yeah. It's, I, I think it is an ingrained problem that people expect to win. Because in movies, the heroes always win. Yes. But that isn't always the case. And it shouldn't be always be the case in 40k. You know, If the heroes always won, there wouldn't be rules and systems in place for characters taking critical damage. There wouldn't be rules in place for characters having to burn fate points. There wouldn't be rules in place for characters dying and how to... you know Make a new character. Make a new character. That's right, yeah. 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 All right, then let's move on. Yep. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. Okay, so welcome to the community section of the show. Uh, this is where we normally talk about any new reviews or comments that we've received. Yep. Um, unless I've missed anything, there uh, has been nothing new in either side in the last couple of weeks. Yep. So a bit of a quiet one, but uh, hopefully as we push in towards the con season, there'll be more stuff coming up we can chat about and have questions raised about and uh, all that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, please take a moment to review us on iTunes. You always appreciate those iTunes reviews. I do apologize if we don't mention your review on the show because... As I said in the past, it's very hard to actually track down. track down every single country's iTunes results, but we look at the major ones, the major English-speaking countries that we know we go to, so Australia, UK, US, Canada, um, New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah, we also look at things like uh, France, Germany, etc., but you know, we have listeners from all over the world too, so, um, yeah, and also things like, you know, I know from my own experience in work, a lot of English-speaking expats in, in countries like, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, China, etc., so, yeah. Uh, anyway. We have, a, we have a broad list in the base. Please do you know, take a time to review us, and we do apply if we don't get onto your review as well. Uh, if you do want to contact us, many ways to do it. Our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. 
Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign Podcast. Uh, we tweet through at Podcast. Our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. And also don't forget the voicemail link on our website. On the right-hand side, you'll see it says send voicemail. Leave us a voice message there and we'll play it on the show and answer your question or respond to any comments that you may have. And also don't forget on our website is our drive through RPG link where you can follow that and we get some support as well as the great PDFs that you get from drive through RPG. Yep. Okay, so coming up next episode is episode 46, which I believe is our last pre-Gen Con episode. Yes. Uh, background of Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Uh, we're going to be tackling uh, everything psychic in, in Dark Heresy. So we're looking at the new 2nd Edition psychic system. Yep. Talking about the mystic role. And I also want to talk about how psychers fit into the Inquisition. Not just the sanctioned psychers, but the unsanctioned ones as well. Because they need to play a character option too for mystics as well. So I think it's worth... Yeah, I think it's a discussion topic too. I think so too. That's it. So, um, in the next couple of weeks, we will also be talking about the. Uh, we'll be posting up on our Facebook and Google Plus page details where you can go to vote for the any awards when they open up. So there'll be sometime between now and Gen Con. There'll be a voting period for that. Yes. Um, please, I do ask. You know, if you if you enjoy the show, please do support us. Yeah, please you know, vote at least once. Yeah, support all the great products on there. I mean, literally, if all you want to do is vote for this show. You can just place one vote for this show and do nothing else. But if you're a role player who cares about the, the products, please do vote for all the things that you really love or would like to, to see do, do well in the Indies too. Yeah. All right. So thank you once again for listening to the show. Thank you, Mike, for taking part. No worries. And we will catch you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Media Gallery. Music.mibio.com.